1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: Are we going to see members of Donald Trump's family using their positions to enrich themselves continually?
1: A lot of people speculating uh, about Kushner wanting revenge on Chris Christie. Kushner has a bold vision for the office saying the government should be run like a great American company. And if they can't do that, run it like a Trump company. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the commander-in-chief who doesn't know if his naval flotilla is floating east or west, or north or south. Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. I think we're at the point now where the president's cluelessness and his dishonesty have formed a kind of perfect circle. The question isn't whether he was intentionally lying when he claimed that we were sending an aircraft carrier group to the Korean Peninsula when we were sending them in precisely the opposite direction. It's whether he even understood what his military advisors were telling him, or even cared. The other great example this week was about the enemy Trump thought he was sending that carrier group to challenge. In an interview with his favorite breakfast television show, Fox and Friends, he referred to North Korea's boyish leader, Kim Jong-un, as the gentleman Bill Clinton dealt with. In fact, that gentleman was Kim Jong-un's father, a gentleman known as Kim Jong-il, or as George W. Bush liked to call him, Kim jong the II. That gentleman died in 2011. So how can you call the president a liar when he clearly doesn't know his jongs from a hole in the ground? On today's show, I'll talk to ethics watchdog Richard Painter about why he's suing Donald Trump in federal court. <laughs>
0: Hey, Trumpcast listeners, Jason here, producer on the show. Just wanted to give everybody a heads up that we're adding bonus segments to Trumpcast just for Slate Plus members. The plan is to track ongoing stories by conducting follow-up interviews with favorite guests and friends of the show. So if you haven't joined Slate Plus, go to slate.com slash trumpcast plus. And if you sign up today and you stick around for the end of the show, you'll hear me talk to Slate writer Mark Joseph Stern about Neil Gorsuch's first week on the Supreme Court bench.
1: My guest today is Richard Painter. He teaches law at the University of Minnesota. He was George W. Bush's top ethics lawyer. Now he's Donald Trump's top ethics critic. Richard, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you very much. So this is just before we get into like the details of everything, it is a full-time job keeping track of the ethics issues around the Trump White House. I mean, it's just a, it's just a welter of stories every day. How do you... How do you keep track of it all, and how do you uh, get a sense of what's what's most important and what's what's a little less important?
0: Well, Jacob, that's what you guys in the press need to do. You need to really keep tabs on what's going on, because this is a morass of conflicts of interest. Every administration has a lot of conflicts of interest, but this one has more than most, because it's not just the president, but other members of this administration have not been divesting Of uh, assets that creates conflicts of interest. Uh, And on top of that, uh, you have all the uh, uh, foreign government entanglements uh, and, of course, campaign finance and all the problems we've always had. So this is going to be a very, very challenging four years.
1: So let's just start. I mean, the the original sin you just alluded to is failing to divest from his assets. There was a way Donald Trump could have dealt with this, right, which is just sell his company Put the money in a blind trust and be able to say that I don't benefit from anything that happens to that business I used to own.
0: Exactly right. Take the money, invest it in conflict-free assets, mutual funds, and uh, government bonds. There are lots of conflict-free assets you can have. Or put some of it in a blind trust so the trustee can invest it in fancy stuff like the uh, hedge funds or the private equity. But the trustee doesn't tell you about it. Well yeah, so you don't have the conflict because you don't know what it is. But that's a got to be a real blind trust, not these trusts they have set up here in the Trump family. Those aren't blind trusts.
1: Because first of all, his family members are running it and there's no way to to know what they're telling him or not telling him. But you just got to assume that he's, he's aware of it. And the people on the other end of transactions are obviously aware that they can be doing things that are helpful to him.
0: And of course, that's what's going on. We have countries all over the world and uh, they seem to want to, uh, you know, give more trademarks to the Trumps, and uh, uh, the message is that uh, uh, countries all over the world are open for business for the Trumps. The Trump uh, sons are traveling around uh, trying to cut deals, and everybody's scrambling to be in good with the United States government by doing deals with the Trumps. And that's that's not right. That that's not the way it should be.
1: And I guess it would be one thing if his sons really were off running the business, even if it's not – even if he hadn't divested from it as he should. But they're on the lawn of the White House and his daughter is there and they there just seems to be this constant mingling of their personal business interests and public policy and public business, which I have to say is – it does just seem shocking. It's becoming routine, but it's still pretty shocking.
0: Well, it is shocking and, and they should have had a clear separation. And he could have told the children, uh, the, the two sons who were just running the business, supposedly, uh, that if they wanted to license the Trump name as their last name too, they could go and run hotels or run whatever using their name and they could make the money. But that money shouldn't be going to him. That would be going to, uh, to them for using their name. They'd be associated with their services. You know, and I don't think we try to borrow his children from using their last name. I we hope they wouldn't be too tacky, but I'm old enough to remember Billy Beer when Billy uh, <laughs> Cotter, Jimmy Carter's brother, was selling beer, and, and you try to control the tackiness factor. But the, the difference here is that the money is going into the president's pocket.
1: It's funny you mentioned Billy Beer. I mean, that's an interesting example. But the one thing, I mean, I was a, I was a kid. I vaguely remember that. But two things you'd say about it. I mean, one, that was a huge embarrassment to Jimmy Carter that his brother was off trying to profiteer on the family name. And I think they reined him back in. But second of all, that was a huge scandal. Like Billy Beer must have been like on the cover of Time magazine as an outrage. And now, you know, that would be like the least bad of 25 things that would happen on any day in the Trump White House.
0: Well, yes, this would be like Billy Bear, but you'd be marketing massive amounts of beer all over the United States, and the money wouldn't go to the brother. go directly to the president of the United States. And then to add to that, uh, people would just pay massive amounts of money to put the last name of the president on a product or on a building. Uh, You know, as I say, I think any other president would have been impeached uh, immediately for that. And the only argument used to justify this is, well, he was doing it already, so it has nothing to do with his being president.
1: What's what kind of overall ethics score do you give the last several presidents? I'm just curious when you think about, you know, forget Watergate, but I'm talking about these kinds of issues about. People profiteering from government service, nepotism, revolving door lobbying. I mean, if you look at presidents since Nixon, or if you want to leave Nixon out of it since Carter, who was good and who was who was bad and how how much worse is Trump?
0: Well, I have some bias here because uh, President George W. Bush, is my client, I was the chief White House ethics lawyer from 2000 to 2007. But if I were to uh, uh, step back and objectively write what these different administrations have done, uh, I would say pretty much the same, except for President Obama had some noticeable improvements because of his executive order of January 2009 uh, that uh, restricted the revolving door, uh, particularly between the lobbying firms and the government and also other private sector entities in the government, uh, so the, the, uh, the executive order under the Obama years, uh, I think was a substantial improvement over all of the, the previous administrations, uh, in, you know, in recent memory. And I give him credit for that. Uh, the Trump administration is, uh, down in the uh, new lows, I would say. And, and they've adopted executive orders a little bit like the Obama one, but has a lot more loopholes. But uh, even though they uh, have some restrictions on lobbyists, their position with respect to the president's own conflicts of interest, his family's conflicts of interest, cabinet members who have conflicts of interest, uh, is so uh, abysmal that I'd have to give them uh, really very low rankings on ethics. In some ways, this situation is worse than Nixon.
1: Huh. Well, elaborate on that. Why is it worse than Nixon, do you think?
0: Well, the, uh, certainly the the break-in we have here, we, of course, have a break-in, some of the Watergate break-in, but the break-in at Democratic headquarters was this time into the computers. And uh, unlike the Watergate break-in that involved third-rate burglars, who didn't even know what they were doing. Uh, this involves uh, Russia, a country that has been trying to destabilize the United States, at least since the Russian Revolution in 1917. I mean, they've been trying to uh, support fringe elements and destabilize our system. And only recently they moved from supporting the far left to the extreme right. But we clearly had a break-in. We've got uh, a foreign power involved, uh, a superpower, uh, and substantial evidence that people close to the Trump campaign were involved or knew or cooperated with it. We don't have the information yet. And so at this stage, the Russia situation is worse than Watergate. Now, President Trump could fix the at least some of the problem if he were not to do what Nixon did and cover up. If he were to completely cooperate in the investigation, uh, make sure we get to the bottom of who helped the Russians, uh, disclose his tax returns, so we would know for sure that he isn't getting money from the Russians. He doesn't have a financial dependency on the Russians. Uh, But we have to get to the bottom of this Russia thing. It is extremely serious.
1: Now, I understand you are leading a lawsuit against Donald Trump. Can you explain what that's about?
0: Uh, This is a uh, lawsuit brought by Citizens for the Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. PRU is the uh, acronym for our organization. I'm the vice chair. The chair is uh, Norman Eisen, who is the former chief ethics lawyer for President Obama. And we uh, uh, have uh, brought a suit against the president's official capacity, asking a federal judge to enjoin him from receiving payments from foreign governments and entities controlled by foreign governments, uh, which are in violation of the United States Constitution, the Constitution specifically prohibits payments uh, to United States government officials and profits, economic benefits coming from foreign governments, United States government officials. So this includes uh, the uh, bank loans from the Bank of China, which is controlled by uh, the Chinese government, Uh, tenants in his building, there are foreign government-owned banks, foreign diplomats stay in the hotels, they book the ballrooms and have big parties, and that's all paid for by foreign governments, and that's something that specifically the founders of our country wanted to prohibit. That's why the so-called emoluments clause is in the Constitution.
1: But I thought uh, only Congress could enforce the the emoluments clause of the Constitution, and it can only enforce it against the president by impeaching him. I mean, how can you as a private citizen or an organization bring a lawsuit to enforce that?
0: Well, uh, the uh, uh, there, there are two separate questions. Who could enforce? Uh, and yes, Congress can enforce it through impeachment, which is a very, very ugly and Political process, uh, but also if the president is in violation of the Constitution, a federal judge can order the president to comply with the Constitution. And we've had judicial review uh, in the United States uh, since the early 19th century, uh, when the Supreme Court in Marbury versus Madison decided that they would review uh, acts by the legislature by uh, executive uh, for their constitutionality. Uh, so the courts clearly have that power. The second question, though, is standing, uh, which plaintiffs have the right to go in and ask the judge to do that. And it is true that not every citizen can go into a federal court and ask the judge to consider whether the president is violating his fiduciary or, I mean, his constitutional obligations. There needs to be some demonstrable injury to the plaintiff. Uh, we believe that we meet the standing requirement uh, in uh, the Second Circuit in New York where we brought this case uh, because the case law does allow an organization which uh, uh, has uh, a mission uh, to focus on something such as government ethics, conflicts of interest. Uh, True has been doing this for 10 years in a range of different ethics issues. And uh, what the New York case law says is that if you uh, uh, have to devote resources to a new problem that's created by the constitutional breach by the president that you do have standing and crew has had to devote enormous resources to this emoluments problem that is created by the president's unconstitutional behaviors.
1: What do you want a judge to to make Trump do? What could a judge make Trump do? Not receive money or give back money or or make disclosure? Like what would be the remedy that a court would order?
0: Well, the first uh, thing that a judge should do here, and we're hoping that Judge Abrams in New York will do, is to find out the facts to get the information about payments from foreign governments, from entities controlled by foreign governments, into the Trump organization. And that includes bank loans uh, and financing from sovereign wealth funds. Get all that information that a lot of it would be in his tax returns, but he won't disclose those. Uh, get down to the corporate level. These are companies that he controls. He discloses the fact that he controls these companies, but we have no idea what's going on with respect to financing of these companies and loans taken out by these companies and the rest of it. The judge needs to find out the facts, find out what money's coming into the Trump organization, find out which, so which of this money is coming from foreign governments and entities controlled by foreign governments, interpret the emoluments clause, tell the president what he can have and what he can't have. And if the president wants to appeal that order, we appeal that order, we run it on upstairs, and there's a final judgment, we go to the Supreme Court. But then the, the judges would decide. These are judges with lifetime tenure. We're not Democrats or Republicans. We think that's a much better way to do it than through impeachment, where it's going to be a very political uh, decision by Congress interpreting the monuments Clause. When there's no case law interpreting the monuments Clause, it's going to be a very, very political process in Congress. We think it's much better for the judges to do it.
1: As you said, Richard, disclosure is at the core of a lot of this. I mean, Trump just seems not to believe that he's required to engage in any of the kind of disclosure that's been routine for his predecessors, such as disclosing his tax returns. But I was also really amazed by the recent announcement that they're not going to disclose the White House visitors log anymore. I mean, that's something that's become standard. Just the idea that you can know who the president and people in the White House, what lobbyists they're, they're meeting with. That's all now going to be secret, right?
0: Well, yes, uh, that's going to be the approach of the Trump administration. The Obama administration decided to disclose it. And that was in partially in response to a litigation brought by this same organization, Cru, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, uh, that it started under the George W. Bush administration. And the uh, the position of CREW uh, is and continues to be uh, that this information should be available. Not every American gets to go meet with people in the White House. Indeed, well over 99 percent of the Americans will never get to meet with anybody in the White House. Uh, there's a tiny fraction of people, most of them either billionaires or lobbyists, who get to go behind the gates. They, we have records from the Secret Service of who goes in and out. And uh, we believe the public's entitled to that information about who these select few people are who are having this unique opportunity to influence decisions made in the White House.
1: Lastly, Richard, I wanted to ask you about nepotism. So put aside these issues about the, the about the business about them not disposing of the business and and not making proper disclosure. But if they, if they, in another world where they followed those kinds of rules, do you think it would be problematic that Trump put his daughter and son-in-law in such positions of authority and had them essentially running large swaths of the government?
0: Well, there's certainly appearance issues with that, and there may very well be a legal issue because uh, uh, the Congress enacted an anti-nepotism statute In the late 1960s, this was after the Bobby Kennedy appointment as attorney general. uh, And the uh, Congress specifically prohibited uh, officials, including the president, from appointing relatives uh, to positions and agencies they oversee. There has been some uh, subsequent uh, laws saying that the president has unfettered discussion to appoint who he wants to the White House staff. So there's a debate about whether the anti deficit statute applies to the president's appointments. In the White House, the Office of Legal Counsel of the Justice Department gave an opinion on the last day of the Obama administration that the uh, conflict of interest laws did not apply, I'm sorry, the anti nepotism law did not apply to the White House appointments by the president. This is very different than the advice that was given to me when I was in the White House, and uh, to Jimmy Carter, who was told that he could not even have his son be an intern in the White House. So the Office of Legal Counsel has taken a different position on this. I looked at their opinion letter. I, I, I just don't know whether I agree or not. I, I, I think that one's a close call uh, under the anti nepotism statute.
1: Has your old office been? politicized. I mean, George W. Bush, to his credit, seemed to recognize that he needed some some independent legal advice on ethics issues. And he, you know, had you around to help keep him straight. I get the sense Trump's more likely to get a bunch of yes men, yes people to tell him that whatever, to find a justification for whatever he wants to do.
0: Well, yes, his ethics counsel at this point is uh, not getting off to a strong start. When Kellyanne Conway got in trouble for um, uh, Hawk and the Ivanka merchandise on Fox and France, which is a violation of the government ethics rules, uh, he wrote a letter to the Office of Government Ethics saying that the ethics rules don't apply to the White House staff. That's just flat out wrong. The Office of Government Ethics regulations do apply to the White House staff. That's what I told the White House staff, and same with President Obama's ethics counsel. So that, that position was wrong. And then they also tried to take the position that Ivanka could be um, a, uh, just a volunteer and not be a government employee. And the, the reason they were doing that was to try and argue that the uh, financial conflict of interest statute didn't apply to her. And uh, they said, well, just as long as she's not paid, she can sit there as a volunteer and do all these official things. And they wanted they were going to give her a West Wing office, a security clearance, a lot of official work to do and say she's not a government employee. Once again, that's just wrong, Uh, and we had to write a letter uh, about that. There's a criminal conflict of interest statute, and you can't uh, duck uh, out from it by saying, well, uh, the government didn't pay me for my work, so I'm not really an employee, uh, but I'm doing all this stuff that other employees do. That will not work. So they've been wrong on that. They're trying a similar game with Carl Icahn, who they're trying to pretend is a government employee, uh, ways carrying out White House functions. So uh, putting it all together, the White House ethics shop is in disarray and is not interpreting the law correctly at all. Uh, fortunately, a lot of these people, such as Ivanka and Jared, uh, they have their own private counsel, and those private lawyers are a lot better and
1: more cautious. I've been speaking to Richard Painter. He was George W. Bush's top ethics lawyer. Richard, you're going to be a busy man for the next four years.
0: I, I think so. I don't think President Trump's going to be calling me, but I'm uh, certainly uh, busy keeping track of what he's doing and what he's not doing to address conflicts of interest.
1: Thanks for joining me on the show today.
0: Thank you very much, Egan.
1: That's it for today's show. TrumpCast was produced by Jason De Steve Lickteig is executive producer of Slate Podcast. June Thomas is managing producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is Chief Content Officer of the Panoply Network. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to TrumpCast.